0: Blaze Radio Network. And now, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Greetings to you, you happy warrior, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, am devotedly committed to revealing how the world really works. And one of the ways that the world really works is that it consists of humans and all other species. That's right. There's two types of life on this planet, humans and everything else. And unfortunately the culture in almost every Western-leaning country around the globe uh, pushes towards the idea that uh, there really is only one form of life and that everything is just one variation or another on animals and that humans are just animals. But that isn't true, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, One of them is that uh, human beings can laugh, animals don't laugh, human beings can speak, animals cannot speak, they can communicate, but they cannot construct abstract thoughts uh, and certainly not communicate them. Uh, We are capable of uh, recognizing our consciousness and probing into ourselves, which animals do not do. You might ask, how do I know that animals are not aware of their consciousness? And uh, the answer is, I'll tell you one day. But for now, one of the ways that I want to focus on today on how we can tell that uh, humans are a unique species on this planet is that only humans, that's you and me, are tormented by the idea of today's show. Why aren't you where you want to be? And yes, we're all tormented in that each and every one of us has goals, and dreams, and desires, and yearnings, and aspirations, and we're not there. And in many ways, we are tormented by it, and perhaps we're even meant to be tormented, because otherwise, what would be the drive to try and repair that? And so, why aren't we where we want to be? Well, let's focus on how we can improve our ability To achieve our goals? How do we improve our ability to actually get to where we want to be? And the way to start that off, uh, I don't want to sound simplistic, but uh, we should start off every day after thanking God for restoring our souls after the restfulness of sleep, is to be able to say, I am not a victim. That's something we really ought to say so our ears hear our mouths articulating those very words. I am not a victim. Whatever dream I have failed to fulfill, and everything else I've wanted that I've failed to achieve, it's not because of anybody else, it's not because of anything else. I am not a victim. The reason that I have not achieved everything I've wanted to achieve, and the reason I have failed to fulfill dreams I've had, is because of me. I am my biggest problem. Go and say it. I am not a victim. Whatever has gone wrong is because of mistakes and bad choices that I have made. So, let's begin the process of trying to improve our ability at achieving the things we want to achieve. Let's try and get a little bit better at fulfilling our dreams and desires. And in order to do that, we have to recognize that there are three things tugging us and pulling us towards the decisions that we make. Those three things are our brain, our emotions, and our bodily appetites. Everything we do is done because of one or a combination of those three things. Brain, that's the intellect. That's the part of you that knows what you should do and knows what you should not do and knows when you should do the things you should do. That's the brain part. And it's possible to conduct one's life in an unhealthy way so is that the brain part becomes silenced, or at least its message becomes attenuated. And that's, of course, very dangerous. But um, for the moment, let's recognize that we do have intellects and brains, and for the most part, they do tell us what we should be doing. The problems arise usually uh, when we don't follow it. Why don't we follow it? Well, that would have to do with the two other things that tug and pull at us. Uh, The second one is emotions, things like love and hate. Somebody commits an act of murder, usually in a fit of emotion. It's either pride or or anger, uh, and that can ruin a life. A person makes a terrible decision regarding an acquisition, or you make a bad decision about a child and it's always on account of the feeling of love which is i'm afraid often indistinguishable from obsession right right when when you become so obsessed on something or someone you've got to have it or you've got to have them and i i have had people say to me both men and women i won't be able to live if i don't marry that person if that person isn't part of my life, I don't see how I can possibly keep on living. And um, and I can't respond the way I really would like to respond. I have to respond using my brain, not my emotions, because I have to recognize that what is driving that statement uh, is a human emotion. And our emotions are incredibly powerful, and they are capable of exerting destructive and dangerous influences on our lives. They are capable of making us make wrong decisions and take wrong actions. And so we have to be aware that there are emotions and emotions are very often at odds with the brain. And one of the damaging things that we are all all capable of doing is uh, we uh, try and fool our brains and we try and get our brains to agree with our emotions. And, and you start conjuring up all the reasons why, yes, it would be a good idea to do this or a good idea not to do this. And so we have to be aware of this constant tussle between our brain and our emotions and one other thing. Well, that's the third thing that pulls and tugs us towards the decisions we make and the actions we take. And that is, in addition to our brain, in addition to our emotions, we also have bodily appetites, our appetites for food and sex uh, and, and others as well. We can develop easily problematic bodily appetites for alcohol, for drugs, and so on, different kinds of obsessions. And and yes, we can call them addictions, you can call them whatever you like, but calling them doesn't mean that we've now resolved it. In the final analysis, the only way to resolve that is to become better at allowing our brains to make the decisions. So, I mean, almost everything you've ever wanted but don't have, well, that's because of a choice you made at a certain point in the past, right? That is so important that I'm going to repeat it. Usually, I don't want to repeat things ordinarily because I don't want to bore you, but uh, think about it. I'll say it again. Everything you wanted but never achieved is because of a choice you made at a certain point in the past. So in other words, today's tears are always the result of yesterday's mistakes. And yesterday's mistakes are the result of listening to items two and three and not listening to item one, paying more attention and being more vulnerable to the demands of your emotions and the demands of your bodily appetites and not sufficiently able to govern it all by the power of the brain, by the by the strength of the intellect. So please remember just keep saying to yourself, I'm not a victim. And also never allow yourself to say, somebody or something made me do it. No, it was your choice. It was the wrong choice, but it was your choice. And if we don't confront that true reality Yes, that is part of how the world really works. Without confronting that reality, there really is very little hope for repair. You've got to to be able to recognize that these are three things that govern our decisions. These things shape our choices and our decisions. And I will tell you that uh, in the Lord's language in Hebrew, the uh, brain is a word that begins with the M sound, right? M like Mike. Emotions are governed in Hebrew. Emotions are a word that is that starts with the L sound, L like lima. And uh, bodily appetites is a uh, word which starts with the letter C, the C sound, K. K. And it's quite interesting to note that if you arrange these things in the correct order of influence, it's not to say my emotions never influence me, All right, when, when I buy flowers for my wife, uh, to some extent, it's emotions. It is. Now, is there a part of my brain also that's involved and says, you know what? This is a very worthy expenditure of $25.00. Uh, I think it makes sense. It's going to be, make my wife happy, and it's going to bring more joy into our relationship than $25 is worth. And so there's that brain aspect of it also, but uh, it's largely an emotional action, and that's fine. There's certainly a time and place for emotional actions and bodily appetites. When I sit down to a steak and fries dinner, i uh, You know, I can't deny that there is great bodily enjoyment in that, and and rightly so. And uh, and when we are together with our spouses, of course there is great uh, bodily and uh, sensual enjoyment at that. Obviously, there is a time and place for that. But the question is dominance. What is at the top? And so clearly, brain should have the most influence— Emotions should come second, a very definite second, and bodily appetites should come third in terms of the influence they exert on the choices we make. And interestingly enough, if you arrange the words and the opening letters of each word in that order, remember, brain is an M sound, emotions is an L sound, and bodily appetites is K, cake or a C sound? Well, when you arrange them correctly, you have the word melek, and M-L-C, and that is the word for king or aristocracy or um, upper levels. In other words, to achieve our heights, to achieve the best things we can achieve, it depends on putting them in that order. Uh, when you arrange them in the reverse order, C-L-M, You have the Hebrew words for calamity. By the way, listen to the root of that word calamity. Do you hear the CLM at the beginning? And we suffer very often if we put them in the reverse order. If we first find ourselves allowing our decisions to be made by bodily appetites first and then by emotions and only then by brains, uh, then we have the word kalem or calumny, embarrassment, Humiliation, calamity, disaster, and it's it's one of the ways in which the Lord's language reveals how the world really works within the very structure of the words themselves, and so we've got to recognize that these things, that these things that shape our decision-making apparatus, brain, emotions, body, uh, should be trained to operate and that means training ourselves and every little victory you uh, succeed in every time you say to yourself um, my bodily appetites are calling for me to raid the refrigerator and finish off a pint of ice cream every time you acknowledge that and you say but my brain is going to say that this is a really bad idea because I'm trying to lose weight. And when I step on the bathroom scale tomorrow morning, I really do not want to see uh, the, the needle going in the wrong direction. So uh, we, we recognize that these three things are really important to understand within ourselves. Getting to know yourself, this is part of it. And, uh, you know, people often say, uh, you know, well, I, 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 I think I'm, I'm a good person. I, you know, I, 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 think, I think I'm a high-value human being. People often say that. And the question to ask yourself when you ever find yourself tempted to say that is, why do you think that? Why, what makes you think you're a good person? Well, one of the surest indicators of being a good person is a, an increase in your ability to be influenced more by the brain, less by the emotions, and least of all, by bodily appetites. That's part of what makes a good person. Working on ourselves is hugely important. So let's then recognize that without, without confronting, number one, the idea that there is nobody else to blame, there's nothing else to blame, Everything you are and everything you have is the result of decisions and choices you made. You are not a victim. And simply being able to say that to yourself and allowing yourself to hear you state that with conviction and certainty is certainly one of the ways in making sure that you're able to progress. After all, being a happy warrior means that you have forever jettisoned the idea of being a victim. Being a happy warrior means that nobody makes or has ever made or will ever make you do anything. Everything you do is an act or a decision or a choice that you made. And the important thing, the most important thing, in being able to move forward in more successfully attaining your goals and being able to uh, say, yes, I am actively moving in the direction of where I want to be instead of feeling stifled and paralyzed and stuck. Well, the key is recognizing and getting to know your own internal conscious decision-making process. We have a brain, we have emotions, and we have bodily appetites. They all exert powers on us. Now, we've got to work on trying to make them exert influence on us in the right proportions. Mostly and most powerfully, the brain. Secondly and second most powerfully, the emotions. And then lastly, bodily appetites and we've got to be aware that it is possible to confront these bodily appetites. It's possible to confront emotions and make the brain overcome them, overpower them, overrule them. It is possible. You know why? Because we're not animals. We're human beings. Animals cannot. Animals have instinct. Now, you can train a dog not to eat until you give him the command to eat, but that's not the same as free will and choice. And so, being a happy warrior means that we acknowledge that we are not victims. Being a happy warrior means taking responsibility for everything we've done in the past. Yes, I did it. it. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't that horrible circumstance in which I found myself. It wasn't capitalism or racism or genderism or sexism or anything else. It was me failing to do what I should have done when I should have done it, or it was me doing something that I shouldn't have done when I shouldn't have done it. And the results are real because My happy warriors, that is how the world really works. The English poet, I often quote him because I want you to know where the term happy warrior comes from, why I use it, and why I think of myself as a happy warrior. Uh, the, the, The William Wordsworth in the year 1806, I think, if I'm wrong, I'm only out by a year or two or three. But in the early 1800s, the very beginning of the 19th century, William Wordsworth wrote these words, and uh, I- I'm going to say them again to you because they're beautiful. They're so brilliantly crafted. They so effectively capture the mood of what the happy warrior is. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole poem. It's, it's longer than I want to talk about now, but uh, part of it reads, who is the happy warrior? Who is he? that every man in arms should wish to be. It is the generous Spirit, who, when brought, finds comfort in himself and in his cause, and while the mortal mist is gathering, draws his breath in confidence of heaven's applause. This is the happy warrior, this is he, that every man in arms should wish to be. The other poem I'm fond of is William Ernest Henley's great poem Invictus, and it concludes with the fateful words, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that's because, dear happy warriors, you are not tennis balls floating down the gutter of life. And that is why I feel so honored to serve you, to be your rabbi, and to bring you these tools for improving your life, both here on this Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show and also at my website at rabbidaniellappin.com. We're all happy warriors, us, and that applies to whether we are men or women, because to live productively you do have to fight every day. You have to fight against the force of entropy, if nothing else. It's like trying to climb up the downward moving escalator. You fight to maintain your possessions, you fight to build and maintain your family. Yes, you've build, you fight to build your, your money, your finances, your body. Yes, it takes great effort to try and stop your body deteriorating, gaining weight and becoming flabby. It takes great fight to grow your business, your profession, your career. Look, the simple reality is God created a world in which chaos and disorder rules. It's actually the second verse of the book of Genesis. God created a situation of what's called tohu bohu. That's a Hebrew expression, but you will find it in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, meaning chaos and confusion. Now, why God chose to create a world in which gardens turn into jungles, but jungles never turn into gardens, and a world in which swamps can be converted into productive agricultural fields and uh, harbors, but um, but they don't do that by themselves. But if you neglect a field, it may well turn into a swamp. If you neglect a harbor or a marina, it might well turn into a swamp. As to why God created a world in which it takes effort even just to stay in the same place, let alone move forward, well, that is something I deal with in the scrolling through Scripture series that you will find on the website at com. that doesn't belong in today's show. We we are going to be much shorter than the time it would take to discuss that. But the all we need to know is that life is a fight, and what is more, we have to know that is a very good th- a very good thing, because to stop fighting, to stop seeking, to stop striving. Well, that means to die. And so we take delight in the fight, in the struggle. We get a high from combating entropy by defeating the downward moving force, call it spiritual gravity in the world. And we overcome it and we feel great when we go to bed at the end of the day and we look and we see we've really made progress. In overcoming the entropy of our lives. And so uh, we've got to remember that, that that is what produces happiness. We're not just warriors, we're happy warriors. Because to throw ourselves into the fight for eight or ten hours a day, every day, six days a week, well, that's one thing. But to do all that with a debonair smile on our faces and a jaunty pace to our stride, to do all that, while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness welling up in our souls, well, that means that we are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming, devoted to our faith, our families, our finances, our fitness, and our friends, knowing that we are capable of triumphing over those who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism and all the many destructive and evil social pathologies that it so reliably generates. So, why aren't we where we want to be? And it's in a number of important areas. I'm not at the moment speaking about whether you want to improve your golf game or your tennis game. I'm not speaking about now whether you want to learn to juggle or to dance or to play the trombone. I'm talking about the fundamentals of life. Because if you take care of your five fundamentals, then you'll have ample time, resources, and energy to learn to play the trombone and to improve your golf game, if that's something you you feel is important. And so the five fundamentals, fitness. Maybe it's the number that stares at you from your bathroom scale. Maybe it's the tooth you've neglected that needs a filling. Maybe it's some aspect or another of your physical body's health that you are doing something wrong or you're not doing something right. That's right. That's an area that may be somewhere you want to be. Maybe there's a part of you that consciously says, I, I wish I you know, had, had better skin or I weighed less or whatever it is on your body. Maybe I, was, I wish I was stronger. I wish, I wish I could run a mile in six minutes. All right, that's, that's fitness. Let's look at faith. And this is a tough one, of course, because many people feel very awkward about it. Many people feel more comfortable pushing the question of God to the background, and so be it. You know, it's not. I can't. I can't change anybody's mind or or exert any influence. That's all inside you. All I'm telling you is that uh, if you haven't tried it, then you're probably doing yourself a disservice. You are undermining how much help you could get from that direction in trying to attain the other things you really do care about. And so whether it's a feeling that somehow you're not really good with God, that somehow there are reasons known only to you that God's not probably not that proud of you right now, or maybe you don't have a relationship with God at all, uh, whatever it is, okay, this is an area of uh, concern. Maybe there's a body that says, I wish that I could be like people I know who have a real faith and are able to deal with adversity in life better than I am because of that faith. Um, Maybe it's in the family area. You know, maybe by now you had wanted to be married and raising a family and you're not. Maybe by now you'd hoped for a tranquil, loving marriage instead of a war zone uh, you know, maybe, maybe you'd hoped for um, better relationships with your parents or your whatever it is, it's an important part of your life. And it's quite legitimate for you to say to yourself, by now, I really hoped that this would be in shape. Uh, maybe you, f- you feel you wish you had friends you could call up and spend an evening with. You're feeling alone. You're feeling disconnected. And a good friend would make all the difference. And you think, how can it be? I really thought by now I'd have a a circle of good friends. Uh, Maybe it's finances. You don't have the financial resources you hoped you'd have by now. Right? That's obviously a very important one for everybody. And so there's fitness and faith, family and friendship, and finance. Those are the five in no particular order. And so, um, and by the way, maybe, maybe it's a good thing for me to drop in here now that finance is different for men and women, all right? It's, it's just a reality. Uh, you may not like me saying this, uh, but um, my job is not to massage you with, that's right, warm butter, no, it's to tell you how the world really works. And one way in which the world really works is that uh, certain critical aspects of human beings are not changeable. They are hardwired into us. Maleness and femaleness, that's one of them. And again, elsewhere on my website, I've got programs in which I explain why it is that the culture in much of the Western world today uh, pushes against that, and wants to make you believe that every part of you is mutable. Every part of you is changeable. Your sex is not just male or female; it's changeable. It can be other things, and um, and what's more, your uh, uh, your your the aspects of being male and female are not changeable. For instance, in one of them, it is. That in our desire for connection, in our desire for male-female connection, what we look at and what we look for in somebody of the other sex is not the same as what they are looking for in us. In other words, we have to recognize that women see financial vitality in a man as an Crucially important part of his manness, his manhood, his masculinity. It's very important. And by the way, so do men. It is a sad and unfortunate reality that the masculinity and manhood of men is negatively impacted by financial stress. It is. That is not true for women. For women, what is valued is beauty, and agreeableness, and support, and loyalty, things like that. And so, uh, when a woman has devoted a great deal of her energy between the ages of 18 and 28 to achieving career and financial success, and then she then says to me, as so many have It's so sad, as so many have said to me, look at me, why am I finding it hard to find a boyfriend? Why am I finding it hard to meet my match? After all, look at me, I am a partner in my firm that I work for, look at me, look at my bank account, I own my own house and I own other property. I mean, there are women who say that and they fail to understand that for the most part, That counts for nothing with men. For many men, it's a negative, and they're not wrong for feeling that, for reasons, again, that I have discussed in uh, other programs. So uh, it's, it's worth noting that in our five Fs, Right, There may be somebody who's in great shape on family. So fine, you don't need to put as much energy and effort in. You need to put some because the maintenance of your family isn't automatic. The maintenance of your marriage isn't automatic. You've got to put some energy in, but not the same as somebody who is a, a 35-year-old single woman who yearns to be a wife and mother. She's obviously got to put much more into that area um you know a single man who uh, is just not cracking it financially well that's obviously an area he has to put a lot of energy into but maybe he's got lots of friends that he hangs out with so obviously less there and so it's not a case of putting the same amount of time into each of the five f's or the same energy into each of the five f's it's a question of doing a very serious searingly honest audit every month of the state of your five F's and recognizing which needs more effort. Where do you actually need to put energy in? You know, it's, it's just like uh, if you happen to be lucky enough to own three businesses, you don't automatically put the same energy and effort into each three. You study the financials every week on each of the three and you see which needs more attention from you. And so it's exactly the same with our five fundamental F's. And so um, to, uh, to then get back to the title of today's show, why aren't you where you want to be? There's three basic rules here. And um, here they go. Number one, wanting has nothing to do with it. You don't live the life or get the life that you wanted, so don't ask me, why aren't I where I wanted to be? Because where you want to be is not relevant. You don't live the life you wanted. You live the life that follows naturally upon the choices and actions you took, not what you wanted. I always wanted. It's irrelevant. Oh, I always want It's irrelevant. So don't think in terms of that, because if you're not converting the want into a plan and into action, then nothing is happening. You will continue wanting and you will consider you will continue asking me, oh, why aren't I where I wanted to be? Well, that's an easy one to answer because you focused on your wants. That doesn't anything to do with it. Uh, one of the dangerous things, and I, I, I cannot believe that there exists on this planet a happy warrior who is succored by what's known as the law of attraction. I can't believe that there is any happy warrior. But if, by any chance, there is a brand new listener to this show today, for your sake and your sake alone, I will mention that the law of attraction is the one that says. Positive thoughts bring positive results into your life. Negative thoughts bring negative outcomes. Listen, it's a lie. I don't want to waste your time or mine or anybody else's. So let me just tell you, the law of attraction is a lie. Now, I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't be positive in outlook. I've spoken extensively in recent shows on the terribly destructive effect of uh, bad spiritual schematics that you have mistakenly uh, implanted on your soul. And so there, there are definitely consequences to having bad schematics, bad spiritual schematics. And obviously, there are positives attached to having a positive spiritual schematic. But that doesn't by itself mean, oh, that's going to bring things. And a natural uh, follow-up, by the way, oh, I should also tell you, uh, the law of attraction was wildly popularized by a book called The Secret. Look, uh, The Secret is complete nonsense. Uh, Here's one of the things that's spoken about in The Law of Attraction. Uh, You must get a vision board. I've spoken about this in the past, so it bears with repetition just because so many people do it. Um, I walk into people's houses sometimes, I'm a guest, and I'll actually see a vision board in the hallway or in the kitchen or in the uh, in in another room of the house. And you can always recognize it. it's like a big cork board or, or something uh, on the wall, and on it are pictures of desirable things <laughs> you know i mean i don't know you know a, a, a private jet a boat uh, a, a fantastic car whatever it is uh, a, a, a lovely um, single family home on a bit of land with a nice white picket fence in front and a pair of dogs running around the uh, people put these pictures up don't do it don't do it all you're doing is dissipating your drive you're dissipating your drive it's uh, this is a form of of sad self-stimulation it it achieves absolutely nothing at all uh and worse it it does um dissipate the energies you have don't do that don't dream about what you want focus on what you can deliver to the world it changes everything so um so, number one, then, the first rule, be aware that the wanting is not important. Put it aside. The tangible uh, depiction of the wanting, namely the vision vision board with pictures of the things you want, get rid of that. Get rid of it. Stop wanting. You have to know what you have to do. Number two, and most importantly, Recognize that you live in an ecosystem comprising your five fundamental F's. Right? You you've got to be aware of that. You you're living in an ecosystem. And that ecosystem is the foundational aspects of your life, your fitness, your faith, your family, your friendship, and your finance. That's that's that is the The ecosystem, it's like a it's like an aquarium, right? Where you have a a properly functioning aquarium and you're pumping in air. So there's air and you've got little snails eating the algae off the glass and you've got all the right things working with one another or a healthy forest ecosystem, right? Everything working in unison with one another. All elements of an ecosystem have to mesh and integrate And what's more, they have to be scaled symmetrically. By that, I mean that somebody might say uh, he's going to scale his fitness. He really wants to take the Arnold Schwarzenegger route of winning Mr. Universe contests and then becoming a movie star and then marrying a uh, woman from a famous family. And all of that starts by fitness. Well, the trouble is that you're not scaling symmetrically you're going to focus dramatically on the fitness front and pay precious little attention to everything else. That's not how an ecosystem works. And um, you, you can't do that. It's got to be symmetric development. You know, um, I bought my wife a bottle of her favorite perfume and mine uh, a little while ago. And um he, Here's the interesting thing i wanted I wanted something of good quality. I figured I'd rather buy a small bottle of something good rather than a big bottle of something poor and to my shock, I discovered that good fragrances are um, are sold in fractions of an ounce like you buy a half an ounce of dice okay and I thought you know wh- what's this all about like why is it? so expensive. Is, is this genuine or is this a uh, uh, an inflation-caused price increase? No, it's genuine. It turns out that jasmine, which is one of the important ingredients, jasmine oil is an ingredient in a good perfume. Do you know that it takes 2,000 pounds of jasmine flowers and they're not heavy? So imagine like what a... I don't even know how many truckloads. I, I never calculated it, but I do know it takes 2,000 pounds of jasmine flowers to give a 25th of an ounce of the oil that's needed. And a small part of that oil goes into the fragrance. Uh, rose petals, right? That's, they use that as well. 10,000 pounds of rose petals. That's even more than the jasmine. 10,000 pounds of rose petals produces about a glass of rose oil. Um, Then another ingredient of a top-rate fragrance, uh, ode oil. Ode oil comes from a certain type of exotic wood. I don't remember the name of the wood. And not only does it, it doesn't just come from the wood, but it comes from a sort of fungal growth that grows only on that wood. And it's very hard to get, very rare. There's not a lot of it around. And... um, it actually costs by weight about the same as gold does. <laughs> That's right. It's a, a this oud oil about five thousand dollars a pound. Um, then natural musk. Now musk is uh, is one of the most expensive ingredients of a real good perfume. If it's a cheap fragrance, it'll use some artificially synthesized musk, but real musk comes from a certain type of deer i think it's called a musk deer and uh musk pods are glands in the abdomen of the deer and those have to be harvested i'm not sure if the uh, that's done while the deer is still alive or not i'm not sure but um this substance that comes from a gland in a certain type of deer well that stuff is hugely expensive Um, And then I'll give you just one more ingredient I discovered goes into perfume, and that's something called ambergris. Now, I've actually seen ambergris uh, when my family and I were crossing the Pacific Ocean on our sailboat. uh, We actually saw ambergris floating. Unfortunately, I was too ignorant to know that it would be well worth dropping the sails, stopping and picking up that big lump of ambergris. It was about the size, I'm going to say about the size of a baseball cap, you know, floating on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, where does this ambergris come from? Well, um, it comes from the intestine of a sperm whale, and it doesn't get ejected out of the rear of the whale. It gets vomited up, regurgitated up out of the whale's mouth, um uh, As a result of certain things the whale eats, I I don't know the details, but it's produced deep within the intestine of the whale. And um, this is necessary. Uh, What it does is, if you've ever noticed one of the differences between a really high quality perfume and a cheap perfume is that the high quality perfume lingers. It stays for a long time. Uh, That's because of the ambergris. It stabilizes the scent of the perfume. How much does ambergris run for? Um, About $25,000 for a pound. I'd say the piece I saw floating in the Pacific was probably maybe two pounds worth. Yeah, I should have stopped. And um, that's ambergris. Now, imagine. And here I'm just uh, trying to give you an example. Imagine somebody were to say, I'm now going to make this really good high-quality perfume, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a vegan, and I don't like the idea of putting a product from a deer's body into this perfume. And I certainly don't want something from the intestine of a sperm whale, no siree. So I'm leaving that out. But I'll go with the jasmine and the rose petals and the ode oil. How good is your perfume going to be? Not very good at all. The reason is because there are basic ingredients for a good perfume, and you can't leave them out because you don't feel like them, or you don't like them, or you have an emotional reaction to them, or you, you find it hard. You can't do that. In order for that perfume to be that perfume, it needs all those ingredients. Well, you know what? Our lives are exactly like that. Our lives also need five ingredients. We need fitness and we need faith. We need finance, friendship, and family. We do need them all. And uh, leaving one out, for whatever good reason you think it is, is, uh, is a mistake. You're holding your progress back. And then the final one of the three rules. Remember, the first rule is wanting has nothing to do with it. And number two is We live in an ecosystem. Our lives comprise our five F's. And three is your success will never exceed your own character strength. You will always be sabotaged by procrastination and by lack of willpower and self-discipline. Our own character strength is a function of our willpower and our self-discipline. And here's the crazy thing. It's perceptible. You do it as well. You can see people, and you may not necessarily identify what it is you are spotting. But when you spot somebody and you say, that's an inspirational person, and you see from the set of the jaw and the determination, what you're spotting is character strength. You're seeing somebody who has overcome procrastination and willpower and self-discipline, somebody who has built up their own character strength. You know, the last uh, show, the last Dan and you know, Lappin show, I interviewed Ruchi Koval, the author of a book we've just published. You can find it on our website or you can find it on Amazon or you can listen to it in an audio book. And that is called Soul Construction, S-O-U-L. In other words, in terms how to construct your soul. That's what we're talking about. Character strength is an inside thing. There's no laboratory instrument that can measure somebody's character strength. And building our own character strength is one of the most valuable things you can do to improve the quality of your life. So now what we have to do is sublimate our yearnings and our wants and our desires into planned actions. You've got to clearly identify for yourself with pen and paper what it is that you really want. What are the things you would like to achieve you know, by the end of this year? What are, the, what are the real things you'd like to achieve? And then you have to say, okay, in order for that to happen, what has to be in place? And then you step back and in order for those things to be in place, what has to happen? What has to be put in place? Until you arrive all the way back at today, And now you know what you have to do today in order to get to where you need to be tomorrow, in order to get to where you need to be the third day. And then, of course, you'll come to the Lord's Day. You can relax. Lord's Day, just relax and enjoy life. But then it's the next day of the week and it's time to start up all over again in that great fight for human greatness, which results in a successful life. A life that is full with fitness and faith, friendship and finance, and the joys of family. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Till the next show, God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.